through all my life experience, some of the good things, but largely the bad things, have been completely changed. So I still use the things that are learned to survive in the world that I lived in, which was a dangerous world. I still use them now, but they use them differently. So an example might be, so when I was drug dealing, I'd pick the drugs up, I'd drop them off, and they'd all get put into bags, and then I'd pick them back up, and I'd take them out, and I'd deliver them and drop them off and collect the money. I use exactly the same system in all our food banks, so it's transferable skills. So don't tell my bishop, but actually the food bank are based on my life of drug dealing. The suffering and pain out there that if you go through it, I guarantee you'll come out a better, stronger person. And the feelings you have today will not be there for the rest of your life. When you feel dark and down without hope and everything else, that's going to change. It might be a week, it might be a month, it might even be a year. But if you go through it, you'll come out and you'll be a completely changed person. Hi, I'm Gillian. And I'm Pierre, and you're listening to Breaking Through Careers, the podcast that gets your career questions answered. In this special edition, we find out about some ordinary jobs from some extraordinary people and figure out how they managed to become successful against all odds. What do you most What's like What's the most difficult personal challenge what that you've had to overcome? What advice would you give what someone? What do you do to keep yourself going through the most how challenging How do you balance times? your family Tell us and something your that you're career. really Tell good us at. something you're really bad at. How much do you at? get paid? So today we're asking... What does a pastor actually do on a day-to-day basis? And how do you go from operating at the far end of one side of the law to the far end of the other? In this episode, Pastor Mick tells us what an average day looks like to him, how and why it's still possible to get a university degree even if you haven't managed to build a solid educational foundation, and what you should actually do if you see someone who needs a hand. As always, I'm joined by my co-host Pierre. Hey Pierre, how are you? Hey Gillian, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm really good. So what do you know about being a pastor or are you aware of any stereotypes? I'm aware of pastor because my grandmother used to go to church a lot and used to drag us a lot. So is this man <laughs> standing with big white cloth in front that everyone prays to, I guess they call it second to God. So that's all I know, but I haven't been in church for a long time. But I got actually interesting questions or some of the questions I actually want to ask. Well, I always want to ask when I was a kid anyway. How are yourself? I thought people who are super wise, holier than thou, you know, there'd be some of the stereotypes. And a couple of maybe controversial ones, I'll maybe just bring up one, and that is that it's actually quite an old school institution that's perhaps not as representative of modern day society as it could be. So that is a controversial one that I want to get an answer to. How about you? What do you want to ask? Yeah, I think I want to ask, like, is being a pastor a side hustle or a full-time job? Because we only see them on a Sunday, to be honest. That is so true. I'm like, what are you doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I also want to know as well, like, are they actually closer to God than an average person, to be honest? With the society we live in today, I want to know what other major religions are there and what makes them different. Just clarification. Yeah, I'm looking forward to learning. We have a true wise teacher for us today. So it's time to welcome Pastor Mick. Hey, Mick, how are you? I'm good, thank you very much. Thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. You're welcome. I really appreciate your time. (laughs) 
Okay, so we'll jump straight into our first section, which is called the quick fire round, where essentially we ask you a bunch of really random questions and you've got to answer <laughs> as quickly as possible with the first thing that comes into your mind. Ready? Oh dear. Oh dear. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Cod or haddock? Potato. <laughs> Rather too hot or too cold? Too cold. <laughs> Favourite place to go to recharge your batteries? Uh, bed. Favourite TV show? I don't have one. I don't have a TV, so I don't watch TV at all. Ah, so. okay. Wow. Take a leaf out of your book. I watch way too much. <laughs> okay, we've got a tongue twister. So it is. Repeat after me. How much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? How much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck 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 wood? Ninety-nine <laughs> percent <laughs> of the way there. <laughs> really. Favorite day of the week. And by the way, this is not a trick question. <laughs> I would say Saturday, every day of the week for me. Oh, why? Well, so I'm married and my wife, we don't live together. Uh, my wife has cancer, but the work I do is wise. We're not too close all the time with the COVID and everything. So on Saturdays, when I've been de-loused, we go and spend the day together the best that we can. So Saturday, Saturday is my favourite day. I get to spend it with my wife. Oh, that's Sorry to hear, but that sounds great. I can see why you love the Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> Up to our second round, which is all about you. We ask questions just to get to know a bit about yourself. Where are you from and what city do you live in? So I'm from Burnley, which is a small northern town in the UK. It used to be a mill town. I've moved away and I've ended up coming back. So I'm living in Burnley again. Nice. And why did you agree to come onto our podcast? I think that when you mentioned young people, because when I was young, I was very lost. And if there's any words that come out of my mouth that just give a tiny little bit, that there is a chance and to not give up. And also, I'm with a lot of young people all the time and so many suicides. It's off the scale at the moment and it breaks my heart. So to inspire, maybe, maybe to inspire, you know, who knows? I understand you mentioned you see a lot of young people as well. How would you describe your job in a sentence or two? Well, I'm a Christian minister, but the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ for me is the poor. But the poor are not the people that don't have money. So the poor are people that don't have any hope. So my job is to bring hope to people's lives. That's the best answer we've ever had on the podcast ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. Back when you were at school, moving on to the career side, did you have any idea what you wanted to be when you grew up? Were you like, oh, I want to be a singer or a teacher? I did. It's really sad, but I wanted to be a thief and I wanted to be bad. I wanted to be successful at being bad. And that's serious. I'm not joking. I used to practice doing bad things. So I'd practice how to be a pickpocket and put a coat over the back of a chair and I'd steal the wallet or uh, things I'd put in the pocket and practice it. I wanted to be bad. Always, even as a kid, if it were cops and robbers, I want to be the robber. You know, it's, it's something that was just in me. I practiced at being a criminal. So everything I did growing up from school as was to be a better criminal. I always had that in my mind. It's bizarre, really, but that's how I was. You know, I couldn't read and write too well because I'm dyslexic. I always felt on the outside, on the edge. I'd have loads of friends, but I'd be at school and I'd, I'd walk around the yard on my own. I always felt lonely and isolated in my own mind. I felt like I didn't fit in, even though I did fit in because I had lots of friends and things, but I felt different somehow. So all the way through from a young age, that's kind of what I wanted to be, really. Wow. 
And obviously you knew how you were going to do it in a way. Like, what do you think was the, the path to go through that? So I had uh, trauma in my life when I was growing up, abuse and death very close together. And I think I used fantasy to escape in my own mind. That's how I think it worked. And I imagined myself being very rich, like a criminal mastermind like you'd watch on TV. That was my motivation, really. It was a fantasy, you know, that sort of tried to make a reality. And not looking at any pitfalls. It was quite bizarre when I look back and think about it. But it's like, well, these are the things that young people do. And I don't just mean, you know, maybe, you know, what I'm telling you is very rare. I'm sure there's not many people going up saying, I know, I'll be a criminal. But what they do is they have something set in the mind. So they become rigid and you don't see the opportunities in other areas. So, for example, if you're growing up and you always want to be an engineer, you don't always see your own potential in other areas. So that's the thing that I'd want to put out of that. I never saw the potential that I had in anything else because I didn't feel I was good enough, to be honest. But you don't need to be held down by whether you can read and write well, whether you're really clever or not so clever. You need to see your own potential. So for me, it's to be open-minded at what you could achieve and what you can be. That skill set of yours has evidently changed given your new role. You know, you said you're giving hope. <laughs> so what do you think that it is within you now? You know, what skills that you have that enable you to change the lives of so many like you are today? What is bizarre. So all the bad things through all my life experience, some of the good things, but largely the bad things have been completely changed. So I still use the things that I learned to survive in the world that I lived in, which was a dangerous world. I still use them now, but they use them differently. So an example might be, so when I was drug dealing, for example, I'd pick the drugs up or I'd get someone to pick them up. I'd drop them off and they'd all get put into bags, bagged up, and then I'd pick them back up and I'd take them out and I'd deliver them and drop them off and collect the money. I use exactly the same system in all our food banks. So it's transferable skills. So don't tell my bishop, but actually the food bank that we're doing now, are based on my life of drug dealing, but we don't talk about that with you that quiet. So what I'm saying, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but what I'm saying is that the skill set that you have, that anybody has, is transferable. You can do it in anything. I did a degree and I couldn't read and write. Could read and write a touch, don't get me wrong, but not enough to do a degree, certainly. But I used the skills that I had and I asked for help and everything else and, and I ended up with a diagnosis, a dyslexia and Perlin syndrome and dyspraxia once i got that it completely changed so you'll see me a lot if anybody sees me on pictures you'll see me like this i'll show you this is the the change da, 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 da. i have these on listen i'm back so yeah so so these so although they are shaded glasses these are not to try to look cool because i don't look cool anyway I just look like an old bowl fellow with sunglasses on but I can read better and I can perceive better because they affect the light, which restores things back to me. So I wear these so I can read properly. What I'm saying there, you know, back to the point really, is that I went in to do a degree, not being able to read and write, and I asked for help and I learned what I was and I learned how to cope. And what I did with my degree was I worked harder than everybody else because I knew that I had something that was holding me back. So I decided the leveler would be if I worked hard. So what I did was I couldn't use the computer. I'm still not very good on the computer, but I wrote every assignment on pen and paper, and then I paid somebody to type it up for me. 
And I used to have to write the footnote in the same kind of writing that it was meant to be in with the full stops and the commas and the bibliographies and everything. And then if you got one thing wrong, I'd just rip wow. 300 words up and, and say again, because there's no copy and paste when you do it on paper. And I did it. So it took me a long time to do each assignment. So I'd work long hours and I did it. And I came out with a really, really, really good degree. I got far beyond my achievements. And what I noticed was, the guys who were really clever, I got better degrees than them. And it was because the leveler was, I worked really hard. And that can be a real leveler, you know, in life. The, where the ability lacked in me, the hard work made up for it. And the result, I achieved beyond my own capability, I believe. You know, so hard work's a truth. You know, it's a real truth that we sort of lose sometimes. We, we think we just turn up and things are just done. And they're not, you know, there's hard work involved in life. It's not all easy, but the rewards come from pushing through, always from pushing through, never from trying to go around it or shorten it or giving up, you know. So it's not just a lie that our parents and teachers tell us then? <laughs> no, it's not. It actually, it does work. Hard work doesn't have to be even doing your assignments. Hard work can be, you know, resting well and it kind of, when you're feeling down talking to somebody, yeah. all them things so that you can do the other thing. So what do you need so you can do the other thing? You know, so you can do your school work, so you, so you can do your college work, so you can go to university. You're just turning up, sometimes not enough, I'm just going to turn up. We know, you know, university, so many people start, but the university I went to, I think there were 35 started in the year I was there, and I think there were 12 or something like that that got the degrees. So people drop out, and it's it's because of the stuff outside. It's because they haven't got that balance. They haven't addressed that. You know, what about is my relationship going to withstand me being away and studying? You know, all these other things that you can put in place, and that takes work and effort and looking at yourself. You know, then you can go and achieve. If all them questions are not answered, then why are you going to do your degree? Go and get a job instead, because you're setting yourself up to fail. Answer the right questions in your own mind and in your own heart, and you'll succeed. I suppose you, you mentioned, obviously, your sub-discipline and your own hard work. Are there any resources that really helped you on your journey? There could be people or tools you have used in a way. I noticed on one of your interviews, you mentioned Father Tony, who has helped you. Yeah, so for me, people have helped me all the way through. So this is what I think for me, and this is what I've seen, and it's just my experience, so... I feel free to say it, is that so life in general seems to be based on two things. It seems to be based on the physical things and the kind of mental and emotional things. And them two things are what people focus on to get through life. But I believe there's three things. There's a spiritual side as well. And it's not until you address all three that you become complete and you can move through. So I had people in my life that addressed the spiritual things for me. I had people that prayed with me. I had people that I could talk to when I was really, really down or I didn't know which way to turn. And I've always had that. But I've learned to put myself in the position that I'm accountable to people that I can go to and just say, look, I feel like this and it's all right. I don't have to pretend, you know, that I'm all right when I'm not. And I still do that now. That's what brought me into recovery, really. That's how I recovered, really, you know, by having those kind of people in my life, yeah. Yeah. And for those who do feel lonely, how would you recommend they go and find those sorts of people? Would they need to go to church? Can they find family, friends as friends? 
Yeah, I think what I find a lot is uh, I'll, I'll kind of be a personal coming to my mind. I'll be thinking about someone. might even be someone from my past or a family member. And you just think about them and that thought goes away. Well, I don't do that these days. So when they get them thoughts, so for me personally, either I pray for them or I ring them or both. And the prayer becomes a reality then, doesn't it? I'm actually speaking to somebody else. Thoughts are nothing unless, unless you put them into actions. You know, so I think Nelson Mandela, didn't he, said the thoughts without actions are just dreams. So dreams are nothing that pie in the sky until you start doing something. So for me, I, I ring people. So when I get them thoughts in my mind of somebody who I know, even from my past, if I get the number, or I'll ring them. I just have a chat, yeah. That was great. We're now moving on to our third section, which is called your current role. So we're going to try to understand a bit more about what you do on a day-to-day basis and how you got there. The first one is, what was the route from the age of, you can choose 11 or 16 to where you are now, career-wise, on both sides of the law, I suppose? (laughs) (laughs) So when I left school, I did some training as a painter and decorator. I was in and out of that trade for many years when I could be bothered. And mainly, I'd use jobs as a cover to do criminal things. So I was always self-employed because I didn't want to do as I was told. So I'd never come under any, anybody told me what to do, I were off. So I couldn't really work for anybody really because I disagreed with everybody. You know, go and do this. No, that's it. You're sacked. Okay, see you later. So I were always self-employed. I had to be because nobody put up with me. So I learned to survive that way, but it allowed. So my life was off all the way through my life, to be honest with you, was half criminal and then half real work. And then there was a blend, there was a point when I got a little bit older where the two blended together. So the work became a cover for the criminal activity type of thing. That's unfortunately, you know, what I were. That's been my route, really. You know, it's been crime and real work and the blend of the two. Not very good, but that's the how it ends. Yeah, and I suppose that's the, the younger you. And obviously after... The criminal activity happened and now who you are today, which is individual that touched many people live. How did that start? Where did that journey start? Blimey. So I had what I would call a spiritual experience, uh, collecting a drug debt. And I was using drugs and, and alcohol every day. I'd got to a real low point in my life. And I had this sort of like God experience. It was very hard from that day on. But from that day on, I never used a drug. I took a drink again. And... It kind of led me down a road into recovery from an addiction recovery. And in that, I found a faith in something that wasn't me because I'd been self-reliant all my life. And that was painful letting go of, of the self-reliance that I had. And I started to rely on this power that I called God through Jesus Christ. Now, I didn't then. just didn't care what it was called. I could have called it Dave. I didn't care. It, I just knew it was better than what, what were happening in my life, me trying to control it. And so my faith moved me through and the the wanting to help people i had this yearning to help people and i found that when i was helping people i was getting better i was feeling better and it's been that that took me i took me to a university course to do a degree which it was impossible because i couldn't read as i spoke about before but i did it because i worked hard and then I, I come through that and I started the ministry, you know, the ministry up, which is Church on the Street Ministries, which does a lot of great work. And we have a lot of people around us. So we work a lot in recovery. We help people to come off drugs and alcohol. And we work at street level with people who are uh, struggling and, and we take food and we give food. 
hot food and we give food parcels and we help people can't afford to bury the dead and many, many more other things. It developed as I changed. So inside me, I went from being very, very selfish to becoming more and more selfless. And that is the power that created the work and the job and the ministry that I'm in. It was me becoming less selfish. When you become less selfish, a new world opens up in front of you that wasn't there before. New doors open that weren't there before. And that's what's happened and is still happening for me. So when I think about myself and my own fears, I can become very poorly very, very quickly. And I can easily just live in this horribleness of how I feel and trap myself. But when I think about other people and how to serve, my thinking stops. I just naturally live in it on a different realm and I I walk in a different place. And that's the place I prefer to live my life. And that's where I choose to live. And I leave all that other stuff behind then. So that's been my journey, really. Becoming less selfish has opened the doors that led me to become an ordained minister. I didn't know, probably up until two years before I became an ordained minister, that that's the way I was leading. I didn't know where I was going. I just knew that what I was doing was better than what I was doing before. I didn't look at how to get money, how to sustain a family. I looked at how to sustain myself in my heart, how to, how to be happy, basically, how to be content. And I followed that. You know, that's my advice, I think. Follow what's going to make you content. And no matter what it is, because the money will come, you'll be able to survive, you'll be able to live. And and if you own your heart, you'll be as successful as you want to be. It's in your hands, you know. Is it a requirement to go to university to become a minister? It depends which denomination that you go for. But in the whole, on average, you need a degree in theology. It's so that you've got a broad understanding Mm. of the Gospels and church history and things like that. But the... (laughs) The the process of going in was strange because I didn't deliberately go there to study. So I, what happened was I dropped somebody off. They were looking round, and I was sat outside, and one of the tutors said, beautiful place it was, have you come to study? And I said, no. I said, what is it? And he said, theology. And I said, what's that? He said, it's about God. I said, no, I'm all right, mate. I said, I believe in God, I'm all right. You know, and he went, no, I don't know. Take me card, and he gave me a card. And I went away, and then for two weeks, he just wouldn't go away at all. It just won't go away. <laughs> so I rung them and said, oh, come in. They said, what's your kind of background? So I told them. So I think they've started uh, doing tests on people now. But when I went, what they said was that to do the degree, you can come in at three levels. One was a certificate, diploma, and then the full degree. But if you pass the certificate, you do the diploma. If you pass the diploma, you do the degree. Because it's the same work. It's just over the three-year period. So for me, what happened were I failed the first year. And then I took it again because I got the glasses and I just progressed. So I did the first bit and passed it. Then I did the second bit and passed it. And then the last year was the degree where you do the dissertation and everything else. And I, and I did it and I passed it. So I started at a lower level, shall we say, and built up to the full degree. So, yeah. So that's how it, how it worked for me. So people that think, you know, you can start by doing... No education. I guess you could start by doing some level three kind of work in the UK and sort of build it up, level two, level three, and, and sort of build it up that way. Mine was, you know, I, I kind of went to the university and I started where I was at, and they had that system built in that allowed me to still get a Manchester University degree. I just had to do it. If I'd have failed, so what I could have done is done the first year and walked away with a qualification 
but it wouldn't be the degree. But you bypass that qualification to do the next one and the next one until you get the degree. I suppose you mentioned before the process of your change, you know, as a criminal or, you know, you're the least holy person. What make you the most holy now? For me, people's perceptions are interesting. So I could probably answer that by saying that I believe that we're all the same. And the perception that people see of me, some Christians really, really, really don't like me at all because they think that I'm maybe unholy because I give cigarettes to people who are struggling and living on the streets and some Christians don't like that. So my theology is this, really, really simple. I get lots of people that come to me and say, they'll say, Mick, I seen a man and he's sat outside a supermarket and he's begging. So I bought him a cup of coffee and I bought him a sandwich and I went away and I feel really better. Now, I say that's wrong. It's profoundly wrong. And this is what we should do. We should get two cups of coffee and two sandwiches and we should sit down next to each other and share what we are together. And that's how you end poverty. And that's how you end people's perceptions of what you look at, who are you really seeing? What's the difference between, I was very poor, I did some really bad things and everything else. Nobody for many, many years kind of approached me and tried to help me. Like a wild dog, do you know what I mean? They were frightened of getting bit. Nobody tried to tame me or help me until I'd kind of started to come to the place where almost like I was starving and broken and, and then I got the help. So. I'm definitely not holy, that's for sure, you know, I need God, so I need this power for me to achieve or to do anything, because under my own power and my own steam, I'm back to smoking crack cocaine and, and hurting people for money, but I'm the same person, I just need something inside me to change, and that's what changes the outside, so changing the outside doesn't work. It's only changing the inside, and it's only that that changes other people's perceptions. So when I was saying about sitting down together, if us three went out for coffee, and I said, right, okay, you two sit on the wall here, and I go in the coffee shop, and I get you a coffee, and I give it you outside on the wall, and I go back inside, and I drink my coffee, and read my paper, and nice inside, and warm, and everything else. I wouldn't do that. So why would I do it to someone who sat on the street begging? Why would I do that? What what makes me think that um, that's in somewhere that's okay or somewhere that's all right? And you know, for me, imagine so someone said, "I'll pray for you." Well, it's no what's that? That's not going to feed me, is it? Do you know what I mean? You're really, really hungry. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to really pray for you that somebody gives you some money and something to eat and sits down with you and talks to you. And I hope they come along by next Tuesday. Just get your hand in your pocket and, and do it yourself and sit down with a person. The amount of people that ring me, you know, that people who have money as well, say, oh, make this homeless man sat outside so-and-so. I don't know if you can go and help him. Well, you help him. You help him. He's there right in front of your eyes. What does he need? Help him. I don't, I'm not saying take him home and move him in your house. But what I'm saying is, why am I different to you or you or you? I'm not. No different. I just know how to sit down. That's it. Learn how to sit down next to people that... So you're not coming above or below. 
because sometimes you feel less than in some certain stances of it, and it's not right. You've got to come. You've got to come at people like that, because you know that's where that's where God is. That's where for me, that's where Jesus is. The, the magic, the miracles, the wonderful things, and changing people's lives happen when people meet you there. When they meet you there, nothing happens. When they meet you there, nothing happens. But when they come to where you are, hearts meet, and things change. And that's that's the way I think. It reminds me of a time I was in London and I saw there was someone, a homeless man outside. I think it was like a Tesco, and a couple went up to him and I suppose asked what he wanted to eat. So they went in, got him like a sandwich and a, a bottle of wine. But then they sat down, opened the wine, and then shared it between the three of them. Yeah. That's, that's it. But it's that simple because if you invite a friend, right, that's what you would do. Yes. So it's like, it, it seems obvious, but we don't do it because when people don't do it because I'll help from a distance. I'll, I don't want to shame myself, but I will do it. I'll help, but I don't want to actually get close, but it allows me to give, but I don't. And it's, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You're better off not doing anything in some respects. But you can change society when you meet people exactly where they are. And that's what's changed my life, people doing that with me. That's what really, really kind of, because I didn't feel good enough for anything at, at one point in my life. And people were like, you know, showing me love and care and they didn't want anything. It was like, it took me by surprise. It took me a bit of getting used to. I thought people were after something off me or something. And it's that that's transformed me a lot. In an interview, you did say that you were a broken, recovering addict who got a second chance. What would you say to those, you know, who don't think that they deserve a second chance? Plama had said, look at your own sin. So everybody has something inside them that they don't like about themselves. What is it? It's very easy to see other people's flaws. But when you're seeing other people's flaws, all you're doing is not looking at your own. So the lies, the deceit, the manipulation, the anger, the frustration, he's getting this, the jealousies and stuff like that. If you can find them things inside yourself, you'll know everybody deserves a second chance. It's not till you know what you are that life can change for somebody else. People point, but they don't look inside the self. So people that don't believe anybody deserves a second chance don't understand what they are the self. So for me, I need the poor to show me what I am. And then I know I'm poor as well, because poverty is not about money. It's nothing to do with money at all. You need to look at the cells first. Sort of a follow-up from that one is, so thank you for being so candid and you've been brave enough to open up to the nation about past trauma, abuse, the suicide attempt. I'm sad to say that there will be other people right now going through such trauma. What would you say to them to tell them there's a reason to keep on living and there's a reason to do something, you know, as trivial as to think about what career you want to go into? What would you say to them? Yeah, so I, I would say that hope comes from going through the pain. So human beings, this is so true, you look around everywhere. What we do as human beings is where the pain is, we avoid we deliberately go the other way. So I'm not going to go through that pain. I'm going to step aside from it. I'm going to go that way. But if you actually go through the pain, that's where the change and the growth is. So the notion of Jesus, because I'm a Christian, so I'm going to say it, is that he goes through the suffering and comes out from new life. Now, it comes out to new life uh, when it's being raised from the dead. So I'm using this as an analogy now, in this way, talking to young people is, the suffering and pain out there that if you go through it, I guarantee 
you'll come out a better, stronger person. And the feelings you have today will not be there for the rest of your life. When you feel dark and down without hope and everything else, that's going to change. It might be a week, it might be a month, it might even be a year. But if you go through it, you'll come out and you'll be a completely changed person. And you'll see life in a completely different way. And that experience of your suffering, you can take it, you can wrap it up, put a bow on it, and you can give it away as a gift to other people. And it can be the thing that ignites you, sets you free. You can, can be such a gift. Your suffering can be a wonderful gift of life experience to give to other people. And you can change the world through your suffering. Don't go around it. Always go through it and get the support as you're going through it. Speak, talk, bang your head on the wall some days, you know, punch your door, go through it, and you'll come out with such an amazing gift only you can give. And it's there to be given away, not to keep. I understand you mentioned, obviously, there are some people who step away and go around the pain or the experience themselves because they might not have the courage or the capacity or the supporting network to go through that. What do you say to those people who might not have the supporting network around them and they can't go through the pain, they just have to step around it temporarily or forever, I suppose? It's, it's very difficult. So this is how we tackle poverty, so church on the street. So we put things in place to take people's hand and walk through it with them. So if you're homeless and getting food parcels, for example, because you're using drugs, what we do, we help you with your drug problem, then we help you with your trauma problem, then we help you with a housing issue and things like that. There is things out there, but they are difficult to access. So it's difficult. So the only answer that I've got is when there's nothing else, is to pray. And, you know, I prayed to a God I didn't believe in, but I prayed because there was nothing else. And when there is nothing else, that's when I kind of heard from God, really. People came along and got alongside me. So sometimes, even if you just don't believe, it's just crying out to whatever you believe might be out there or not. Help me. Give me a lift. Give me a shout, you know, and see how it goes, see what happens. But there should be more. You're really right, especially for young people. Sometimes it's like these pompous things of, you know, we set these organisations up and things like that. People don't want to access them because they're not in a place. You've got to go and meet them where they're at. So my thing is, this is what the church should be doing. It doesn't do it enough. The churches should be out meeting people where they're at and meeting the needs and doing the things, you know, and what you said, Pierre, some people don't have the support to go through them, you know, and that's what we're trying to do in the message I'm putting out there. That's what I'm, I'm trying to get across because the people who are suffering now and can't go through it and need support, they're the ones that in the future are going to be giving the support it's this experience that they have and, you know, they need support, they need help. So, yeah, that's the only answer I've got. There's always going to be people struggle. Yeah, thanks for that. In your words, and I think in an interview, you said that you made crazy money when you were working as a drug runner and debt collector. Why should a person, when they're at a pivotal point of their life, choose to earn less money working on the right side of the law <laughs> instead of earning more money on the wrong side of the law? Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, so this is a guarantee. If you're working in, in criminal activity that involves drugs, three things are going to happen. You're going to end up in jail, in an institution, like a psychiatric unit, or dead. You're going to get one or three of them things. 
none of them three things are nice. And that's a guarantee. You know, that's always going to happen, you know. So for your own self-respect, what happens is when you're in that world is your heart becomes really cold and heavy. You almost create a heart of stone because you've got to not show your emotions. It doesn't allow you to be who you really are. So you become somebody else. You create it because you have to be tough, whether you are or not, or you've even to pretend to be tough if you're not. So basically, to become who you are, you've got to let go of some of the money. And the money, funny this, this is the truth, illegal money never lasts as long as worked for money. It never does. It's come and go. You could have a million pound and tomorrow you can be arrested and it's all gone or taken away or, uh, you know, your life's been put at risk. You know, you're more prone to being ill because you're using drugs or working in that life. You're more prone to having your life taken. So the balance of it, as soon as you balance it, it's a no-brainer. It's far better to find out who you are and live your life on a different basis. It's a no-brainer in the journey of life. So I still work with lots and lots of addicts, and I don't know that many still alive over 50. Not many. There is some, but not many. So your life expectancy for one thing. Well, we're lucky to have you and you're well alive and you're one of those who survives. That's good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I guess as a man of many things now, could you please talk us through an average day? Yeah, sure. So my hours are flexible, so they're always long, I guess, but because I choose them to be that way, it's how I like to live my life. So I'll be up very early, me and Ozzy, and we'll go and have a walk and just relax and I'll, I'll pray and I'll get ready for the day. And then it's just a case of basically the phone. So my phone will go. Somebody, for example, will have took their own life. So this is very common. And it's then how do you support the family? What do you do with that? Then somebody may have died of natural causes. So we get a lot of deaths. And they've no money for a funeral. This happens a lot. So if you can't find the money for a funeral, they get a pauper's funeral, which means they just cremate the body on a day and date that they don't tell you and nobody knows where and when and why. So it's getting some resources for that to help people with the funerals sometimes. Then people who are in addiction, you know, trying to help them to stay sober and to stay off the drugs or so kind of counselling over, you know, talking, speaking, interacting. And then I'll go out where the guys might be begging or just using drugs or scoring and I'll take food around with I've prepared food, sandwiches and things like that. So we'll drop some of that off, have a chat, have a talk. People will ask me to pray for them. So we'll pray because there's nothing else for them. They feel lost and trapped and they feel some comfort from the prayer. Many people ask me to pray for the families that they haven't seen so many years because of their addictions and their lifestyles. And then also I'll be going to meet people who were part of the church that are serving so to kind of point them in the direction where they need to be going and what they need to be doing, preparing services. So our services have been outside on the street. So we pray on the street, organizing other ministers because we've set other churches up which are involved in the same kind of work. So the same kind of work as in feeding people and meeting people where they're at. We deliver food parcels to people's doors that need them. We run food banks. So people can come, I encourage people to come to pick the stuff up themselves. Then we've got to assess who's selling the food parcels and who's actually eating them. 
I have a system of that. I speak right into it. I don't mess about. It's not that I don't give if they're selling it. I give differently. I give them food that they can eat, not food that they can sell. So that's the the kind of thing. So what my days about is the spiritual things of life and the love and the care. It has to be both for me to make it real. So my day and my time spent praying and doing the prayer, shall we say. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. We honestly can't thank you enough for coming on our podcast and sharing your story. We are going away feeling very inspired and I'm sure our listeners will too. Thank you so much for having me on and also kind of like to young people out there that what you think is not always how it is and what you see is not always the reality that it is. And if you look inside yourself and see where your heart is and what could be possible and what you really love and really want to do, that you can find a career out of that. Find a career about out of what's inside your heart and that'll set you free and transform you. Now, I know not everybody's going to be a pastor or a priest, but there's something inside each and every one of us that we need to get down to the bottom of and find. And when we find that, that's when we find our purpose in life. Thanks for listening. Please join us again next episode as we explore yet another profession. Your support is always appreciated. So please subscribe to Breaking Through Career Podcast and find us on social media. Also, don't forget to check out the resource hub at www.breakingthroughcareers.com where you can find advice for school leavers, university students and career changers. I did then what I knew how to do. Now that I know better, I do better. Maya Angelou. See See you you next time. time.